With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to POTUS 2020 Battleground America Deadline Podcast. My name is Ted Johnson. I'm political editor at Deadline. And I'm Dominic Patton, senior editor at Deadline. Well, this week we are not following a debate, but we are following a bit of a debacle for Donald Trump, which we'll talk about later. We also have Billy Ray, the director of Showtime's The Comey Rule, joining us. But before we go to any of that, we are definitely, to quote the Woodward and Bernstein book title, in the final days. <laughs> what do you think at this point? Well, uh, I think the common thing you hear from the Biden team or people who are supportive of the Biden team is uh, caution. Uh, it, it, uh, it, PTSD is getting thrown around and people uh, are like, I still have 2016 on my mind. But you look at some of these pollsters and there's a new batch of polling out today, which either shows that the race is unchanged from the last debate, or there are some signs that things are moving in Biden's direction. Uh, I think a big piece was Cook Political Report. They're one of the best prognosticators out there, moved Texas into the toss-up column today. So that is, you know, that's... It, you know, but Biden may, is still a long shot to win Texas, but you know the question is: Is that a sign that things, now that we're six days out, are starting to move in Biden's direction? And that's absolutely where you want to be. So because you know, what, you know what's strange though, no, no more vote. There's no more poll swings after this one. Yeah. So. You know what's interesting? I mean, we all talked about an October surprise and just being Trump land. There's been a million surprises, but nothing that's pulled anything off yet. I don't know, you know, six days, until six days, brother. But I, I tell you this, the very interesting thing is I remember in 2008, and I remember at this point in the campaign, the McCain campaign had kind of gone onto the apology tour. They were kind of, I mean, they were, they were stumping, but it was very clear what was gonna happen on election day. Um, and for their, their inevitable defeat, you could feel them kind of doing the moves of, you know, I thank you for your support. Thank you for being behind us this year. Thank you. They knew that there was an end coming and they were, they were writing thank you cards. That is not happening with the Trump people. They are, they are railing and rallying hard and just kind of pretending that these polls that you're quoting or others are quoting or the, the, the sheer math of this, they're just pretending it's not there. They, they, they are talking as if there's a victory coming, which is making me wonder, is this is part of the greater disinformation campaign, is that when, if Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris win, the Trump campaign is going to say, it's a lie. This was stolen. We knew we were going to win. They took this from us. Do you think that that's going to have much traction, especially on cable news where they live and breathe by this stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, it could. The problem is then you look at Congress and you look at uh, Republican lawmakers who win their elections or didn't have a race this year who are looking forward. And you have to wonder if Trump makes this big charge that the election was stolen, but it is a decisive Biden victory. I think you'll, pro you'll probably have Republicans on Capitol Hill saying, okay, what What's in this for me, other than just to have egg in my face? Because we already know what is going to happen. So that sure there is going, you know, if that scenario plays out, sure there will be Trump defenders who will hop on that train and say this election was stolen. But I'm not so sure that that is going to be a big movement on the Republican side. If the race is close, I think you know, all bets are off. But if this is a decisive Biden victory, I think it's going to be hard, obviously, for Trump to really make that case other than people saying, well, this is, you know, this is what he always does. Yeah. To talk about this is what he always does. I, I want to drill down to very specifics because this is all boots on the ground. This is this is everyone getting in and out of the plane. It's like that Steve Miller song. Um, but last night, Donald Trump held a huge rally in uh, Tulsa and Omaha, actually. Um, and he, it was very little social distancing. Vast majority of the crowd weren't wearing masks, all sorts of things like that. But here's the thing. After the big, long rally, which was pretty cold outside for people, Trump took off an Air Force One. There were no buses for thousands of people, including seniors and many others, to get home. And I felt that this was emblematic of the Trump campaign, of the of the of the Trump presidency, of Donald Trump himself, of this self-centered narcissism that just propels him to believe that he is above it all. What was your take on that? And, and or do you think this is this is just one of those stories that people love to tell at the end of a campaign because they think it sums up something that it doesn't? Yeah, I think this is probably one of those stories and really, really bad timing for the Trump campaign. I mean, I've seen debacles when it comes to logistical issues happen a number of times. I remember when Barack Obama had a big fundraiser at Oprah's house with donors who were paying, what was it at the time, 2500 to get into her house. And there was some kind of a flub up with getting them from a parking lot to the house. Oh, I remember that. Donors You're right. were upset. Uh, so it's, but it's just, it could not have happened at a worse time for the Trump campaign because, you know, it's obvious now that Donald Trump is finishing out his campaign, trying to prove, hey, I can do three to five rallies in a day. And Joe Biden, as he says, is in, in his basement. Well, Biden actually is out there. He's just holding much more cautious and careful rallies or, you know, in some days like today is actually, you know, not traveling. Um, but he voted today. But he voted today. Yeah. So it's, so it's going to be quite a contrast in these last five, five or six days you know, uh, where Trump is out there holding these rallies. But there is this big question in the media and the media is really focused on this. Are these rallies really helping Trump? Is he just speaking to people who are already going to vote for him, obviously, if you're going to go to a Trump rally, you're going to vote for him. Um, you know what is the game? Well, I, you know what? You say that. I tell you, I think some people go to those rallies because they don't have wrestling to go to. I really do. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I it's feel like, entertainment then. You know, I feel like there are people. Look, I mean, clearly there's partisan divides, and I know people who, ironically, wore MAGA hats for a while 
And then people said to them, you know what, that joke isn't funny anymore. But I wonder, I wonder if some people go because it's something to do. Like I, especially when I see a lot of young people in the crowd, I'm like, yeah, that's like the equivalent of going and tipping a cow in a field on a Saturday night. But the, the, the problem, and we're seeing this through the upper Midwest, is this huge spike in coronavirus cases. And I think that the way the media covers, not just at the national level, but at the local level, and that's where it's really important, they are going to be talking about these rallies in context of the coronavirus. And I don't see how that is necessarily good for Trump, Trump as he goes to some of these markets in these mid-sized cities, whether it be Michigan or Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, those reporters are going to be out there and talking about, they're going to reference, you know, are people social distancing, talking to people, do they think that they're, you know, taking the appropriate precautions to be out there? And I don't see how that is necessarily good for Trump uh, in terms of trying to rallying pe rally people when coronavirus is the number one issue on voters' minds in these final days. Well, talking about final days, let's, we're, we're actually going to do a little bit of time traveling now, talking about the final days of the 2016 campaign with Mr. Billy Ray, the uh, director of Showtime's The Comey Rule, joining us. Thank you for being with us, sir. Thank you for having me. It's a great honor. Ah, you just say that. So I have a question for you right off the bat. We are single digits away from the election on November 3rd. This time four years ago, James Comey kind of was the man, some would say the spoiler of the election that people thought was going to be the coronation of Hillary Clinton. Where do you think things stand right now? And is there anything to the equivalent of that in your opinion? I don't see it. Um, you know, they've been trying to stick things on Biden for about a year and a half now, and things don't stick to Biden in the way that they stuck to Hillary. Um, you know, the campaign that the Republicans ran against Hillary was decades long and hugely effective. Um, and that's what made her such a terrible candidate, in, in my personal opinion. Uh, the reason Joe is a great candidate is because people fundamentally know he's a decent guy. And so to try to stick him with stuff that seems ridiculous winds up seeming ridiculous. Also, um, you know, Trump had kind of a perfect storm working for him in 2016. He was following the first black president in a, in a nation that's fundamentally racist. Um, he had a ton of help from the Republicans, which no less a source than uh, uh, James Clapper told me was the definitive um, uh, factor in that election. And he was running against Hillary, yeah. uh, who, who people really, really hated. I don't think people... Uh, come close to that level of hatred for Joe Biden. So that perfect storm was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. He took it, uh, but I don't think it's there this time. I, I was gonna say, we were talking earlier about how anxious everyone seems to feel, but Billy, you don't share that. Well, first of all, I'm as, I'm as PTSD as anybody out there. I mean, that election completely flattened me and I did not see it coming. So I'm not predicting outcomes. What I'm, what the difference for me is the second that guy was elected, I decided I would never again wake up the morning after an election thinking I could have done more. And so I, I picked a lane where I thought I could make a difference. Uh, in my case, that was uh, house races in 2018. And I started working with candidates, uh, trying to teach them messaging, trying to teach them how to sound less like a Democrat, how to make the kinds of arguments that independent voters could hear. Okay, that, that, really, that, that sounds a lot like you playing the Richard Gere character in Power. <laughs> <laughs> uh, except I'm not a drummer. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Wow, you that that was like that was a reference on reference. Wow. <laughs> so nicely done. <laughs> well, you know, movies are my career. Yeah, uh, and I am definitely, if I'm joining a movie or trivia team, you are definitely on, on my, <laughs> my call list. That was amazing. And sorry for cutting you off, but that's, yeah, a, that's, okay. that's a very good point. I mean, so for you, I, mm -hmm. I kind of want to swing back a little bit on this. That right. experience in 2016, working with candidates, working with messaging, working with focus, mm -hmm. not always something the Democrats are that great on, let's be honest. Oh, no, the Democrats could fuck up a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Everybody knows that. But the point is, individual candidates can be worked with on messaging. And it turns out there are some very simple, basic principles that you can teach candidates just about how, how personality traits affect voting behavior um, and how to ride that, or at least how to mitigate it. Um, so we wound up working with 30 candidates in 2018 on messaging. Um, and 21 of them won, which was pretty thrilling. I can't take credit for those, I can't take credit for those wins. They were great candidates, but I know in close races uh, we helped. And then um, in this cycle, aside from making a four-hour miniseries, um, I'm, I'm working with 45 uh, new candidates and about 40 incumbents, and and that ranges from writing stump speeches for them to doing debate prep or rapid response or whatever it takes, and a ton of fundraising, obviously. Um, and so my point is, the reason that I'm not anxious is not because I have any crystal ball that anybody else lacks. It's that every single day I do everything I can humanly do to rid our nation of Donald Trump and Trumpism. And by the end of the night, I feel like I've moved the needle some fraction of an inch. And that's how I get to sleep. Wow. What is working on messaging with a number of these candidates, how do you think Joe Biden has done in his messaging? Brilliant. Great. What, specifically what? Because I, I agree with you. I think that I think that Uncle Joe has actually stealthily created one of the most, um, I would say, deft political campaigns I've ever seen. But specifically, I'm really interested, really, what do you see as the main one? Well, what you, again, go back to personality traits and personality types. Um, what unites conservatives psychologically is their shared fear of chaos. That is at the core of every Republican argument since I've been alive. In, in the most recent years, it's, it's why they call the Democratic Party the party of open borders or now the party of defunding the police or the party of socialism or whatever the lie is of a given day. I mean, they're always trying to paint us as, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of transgender people running around performing eight and a half month abortions. It's always... Hey, so hey, it's always, don't forget also that you're all caught in the NPR echo chamber. Yes, of course. But the cell is that Democrats create chaos. And if you look at the conservative mindset, the personality type of someone who is a conservative, if you give them the choice between authoritarianism and what they perceive to be lawlessness, they will choose authoritarianism every time. They will give up civil liberties because they are so afraid of what they perceive to be lawlessness. And the thing that I think Biden has done so brilliantly is he has painted himself, I think rightly, appropriately, as the antidote of chaos. He has been calm, he has been leaderly, he has absolutely smacked down, you know, the defund the police argument. He has never taken the side of anybody who was a rioter or a looter. He's been anti-violence in every way possible. 
He has been a calm, stabilizing influence. And that's what Democrats need to be. Because the fact is, Democrats in the age of Trump are the antidotes of chaos. And we just never seem to sell ourselves in that way. But Biden has totally understood that argument and has ridden it. If you've listened to our podcast in the past or some of the reviews we've done, and, and Ted and I have talked about this, I have a theory that the real buried under everything else, the real secret of the Biden campaign is Ronald Reagan, is that a long time ago, Joe Biden and his people realized that 1980 campaign, the success of that, the, 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 the destruction of an incumbent one-term president the way they did, that that is what they have, have moved this on. I actually fully expected at one of the debates for Joe Biden to ask, are you better off today than you were four years ago? And you know, when you talk about messaging, and regardless of what you think about President Reagan, that was where messaging went into the stratosphere for a lot of different reasons. But also, I think because one of the reasons is true of, of Joe Biden is Ronald Reagan had been around forever. So by the time he was elected president, and this is one of the reasons why I, in 2016, and please don't hate on me too much, I predicted that Trump would win because he's so famous and people know him. And I feel like Biden has found himself in a position where he is equal to that and has played this campaign of the, the you know, I call him Uncle Joe, but, but he, you know, it, it same, when, I was, when I was growing up in the 80s, Ronald Reagan was like everyone's grandfather. Again, whether or not you loved him or not, but he was everywhere. And I feel like Joe Biden has, has done that. What's your feelings on that? Or do you just think I'm totally loony and don't know what I'm talking no, about? No, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I, I suggested to the Biden campaign uh, this week that he should quote Ronald Reagan and that he should quote that line, but that the pivot off of it should actually be the right question is, are we better off now than we were four years ago? Good point. We, collectively, as a nation, are we better off than we were four years ago? Because there is no way to make the argument that we are and that it's time for us to start thinking collectively. I actually have always believed, and I started believing this in the 90s, that Ronald Reagan saying, are you better off than you were four years ago, was the beginning of the end in terms of American politics, because it encouraged a, a selfishness. It encouraged a kind of tribalism that made it possible for candidates not to think about us as Americans, but to think of us as demographic chunks. And, and I think that's been very, very bad uh, for both parties and for the country uh, more broadly. Hmm. Did you, uh, what do you think of Trump's closing message, which seems, or closing actions, which seem to be, I'm gonna kind of barnstorm all these states and hold these rallies. Do you think those rallies help him or hurt him? Well, the numbers are certainly not indicating that they're helping him. Um, you know, it's probably the least inspiring closing message that any candidate has ever had, at least, at least in my lifetime. Um, I can't remember the last positive thing he said, and Trump should know better than anybody that all good politics are aspirational. Um, you know, what was so shocking that people don't realize is that in 2016, 50% of Trump's ads were positive, and only 5% of Hillary's ads were positive. 95% of Hillary's ads by the end were attacks on Donald Trump. Her closing argument was, he's such an asshole, you have to vote for me. That is not inspiring. Yeah. Um, and I think more than anything, he, had, he is fighting the last war, as all bad generals do. Um, and he has forgotten that his base is not enough. You have to add votes. 
and he just doesn't add any. So well, I, I mean, I, I think I think that that is emblematic of Donald Trump's math. I mean, we talked about it earlier today. To me, the real closing message of Donald Trump's campaign was that rally last night, um, where Perfect. afterwards they left hundreds of people in the cold, seniors and others waiting for buses that never showed up. That right. to me is exactly Donald Trump's presidency. And also, but Billy Ray, while we're talking about what hopefully is the end of Donald Trump's presidency, though I still say I'm actually, even if Joe Biden win and Kamala win, I'm very worried about that period between the election and the inauguration. As so you should that, That's when Trump's off the leash. So, oh, for sure. For sure. But, I want to go but right I, now, sitting here right now, wouldn't you trade that problem for the problem we're facing right now? Yes. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, and I, and I say this, I believe, I believe that, that we have been in a year of uh, apples and oranges, and I believe that's, that's one of those apples and atom bombs. And that's because what I worry about is that, is that the Trump administration will go to war with China or Iran. I'm not, I'm seriously, not kidding at all. I feel that that's been a setup, and I feel in the last days, a power-hungry asswipe will do something like that because it's his way of cementing his big bossness. I worry about that. Uh, here's what I think about that. Um, first of all, I don't think the United States military would allow that to happen. I think if you actually want to see a constitutional crisis, if he asks the military to do something and has just gotten his ass kicked in an election, I don't think they'll do it. Um, but why do you say that? Because I mean, like I'll make an example. That is far different scenario, but similar in tone. That's what George H.W. Bush did in 1992 in the closing months he suddenly decided to, to leave an American intervention in Somalia, which basically left a, a, a pile of crap at Bill Clinton's door from day one. I, I just feel like, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I feel like we're talking about someone who is not altogether there. In the, and I feel when you take someone who's not there, Gare, you deliver a huge rebuke to them, and then you give them 90 days where they still remain all, have all the power. That is a great worry to me. I hope that you're right. I hope that constitutional forces within and without the, uh, the government take hold, but I'm not sure. Having said that, I would like to jump back to the beginning of all this in some way and talk a bit about the Comey rule, which okay. I've said that very clearly in my review, and I make it pretty obvious. I thought you guys did a bang-up job. I think it was the most important drama of this election year. Thank you. We know that that didn't almost happen. You almost didn't have your show before the election. You had your show after the election. What do you think? I want to relitigate that drama with Showtime and Viacom CBS now, but what do you think, what do you hope was the impact of the show that you and Jeff Daniels and, other, and Michael Kelly and others put together in late September on this election? You know, it's really, really hard to calibrate. Um, I've never had a response to anything I've done before that's anywhere near like what I got from the Comey rule. You know, when you, um, when you put a piece of uh, movie making out into the world, you can sort of tell by your incoming emails how you're about to do. Um, if, if, if it's going to go badly, people start sending you that uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote about life in the arena. Um, that's, that's when you know you're fucked. <laughs> um, when they're already saying to you, hey, you know, it's not throat cancer. You're out there. You're taking your punches. Good for you. You'll get them on the next one. Then you know you're in trouble. Um, when things are going to go well, you're getting emails saying, wow, I saw a sneak of it. It's amazing. Good for you. On this one, I got, I got something I never got before, which is people were emailing me to say thank you. 
Um, I never, ever got that before. And this was in, in huge numbers. So it was anecdotal, but it was consistent. And then I started seeing um, people on Twitter talking about how they had seen it twice or they had seen it three times. Um, I really didn't expect that because everyone's time is so tight. Um, and then, you know, again, anecdotally, hearing from people saying, I made my dad watch it. He was a Trump voter. He's not a Trump voter anymore. Um, you know, do I think I turned the election? No, I really don't. Um, but do I think that I may have given some people some pause? I hope so. Um, you know, uh, Trump won Michigan by 11,000 votes. That's where Jeff Daniels lives. You know, is it possible that we got 11,000 Trump voters to stay home? I hope so. Um, I, I certainly think that, uh, that the story we told uh, in the Comey rule was good enough reason for those people to stay home if not switch their votes. We'll see. Did you, do, if, if Biden wins, what do you think will be the appetite for projects about Trump, about the Trump years? Or do you think that, that executives are gonna be like, okay, let's put, that, let's put that on hold for a while. Let's put that behind us. It's really hard to say. And of course that was my fear. That's why I didn't wanna air after the election because whatever result, uh, the election had, our story becomes a historical artifact at that point and would not have drawn anywhere near the numbers that we drew. I mean- Which were really, really great numbers, by the way. Oh yeah, I, I, this is gonna sound like bragging, so forgive me, but- You can brag, Billy, you go. <laughs> we were the biggest debut of a limited series in Showtime history by a factor of four. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was kind of stunning. Yeah. Um, but that said, uh, I think there are two factors here that are critical. Um, one, I think that America is going to be unpacking the meaning of these four years for decades to come, for generations to come. Um, I, I, it's going to sound like an overstatement, so forgive me, but in the same way that Germany will never stop making movies about the Holocaust, I think America is going to need a lot of storytelling to make sense of the Trump era, what we allowed to happen to our democracy uh, what we all stood by and watched. Um, so yes, I think there will be lots more of that coming and I look forward to being a part of that. Having said that, um, I selfishly believe that it's gonna be very tough to get a major actor to play Donald Trump again, given what Brendan Gleeson just did. Yeah. Because he set the bar so damn high. I can't, uh, if I were an actor's agent, I would not say, yes, go play Donald Trump. You can do better. I, you know, there, there is, I, I'm old enough to remember this. I don't know if you guys ever saw it. I, I hope you did. But you remember Oliver Stone's The Doors movie? So uh, I, I never saw it. So sorry about the movie trivia. Okay. It's not movie trivia because you, you'll know, you'll, you'll still relate to what I'm going to say. I, I saw that movie um, about two days after it opened in a giant movie theater in San Francisco. Kind of movie theaters that don't really even exist anymore, right? Uh, and, and there were bikers there and hippies there and all this kind of stuff. People were drinking wine and smoking dope in the theater. And the whole experience, regardless of what you think about the film, I now can never, when I think of The Doors, of which I am a fan of, clearly, what I actually think of is Val Kilmer in my head. Val Kilmer is Jim Morrison. And I feel that that's what Brendan has done here to the point where I, I find myself every now and then, as clearly as a fan of the Comey rule, when I'm seeing Trump at a rally or something like that, I'm seeing Brendan in some way. I mean, it was a magnificent, magnificent um, depiction. And, and 
he deserves, I mean, Jeff, of course, deserves big, big applause. All you guys do. But Brendan did something that was, that was live wire shit. And he really pulled it off. He did. And, and thank you. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, he passed on the part the first time we offered it to him, uh, which was very upsetting and kind of terrifying. Um, but he and I talked about how as much as we love Alec Baldwin, we weren't doing a sketch. We were doing um, the first dramatic interpretation of Donald Trump ever. And that brought with it certain obligations and responsibilities. And, and Brendan took that really seriously. And I can tell you, you know, in all the days that we were shooting, he never once came up to me and said, hey, if I did this, it'd be funny. Or hey, if I did this, it'd be scary. Or I can play him more like a villain. Um, he was playing him straight up like a real guy and he captured the darkness of him um, and he captured the desperation of him uh, and he made it real. And I think that's why the performance is so memorable. Did you ever hear anything from the White House? No, I reached out to the White House uh, months before uh, we began prep. I had one conversation with one person uh, in the White House. Um, I let them know what I was doing. Uh, and it's a person that you see on air. And uh, I decided it would be really dumb of me to go and try to get an interview with Donald Trump. Uh, I knew that they would want to see the script uh, before we shot. I knew that was a disaster. So uh, what we did was we, we took everything that James Comey had um, asserted about Donald Trump and compared it with Donald Trump's public facing behavior and said, do, Don do James Comey's assertions comport with how Donald Trump behaves in public? And the answer, of course, was yes. Yeah. Um, you know, Billy, we're going we're to have to wrap things up. We really, really appreciate you. No! <laughs> but I have two things to ask you. Yeah. One, what about those Dodgers? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Okay, born in 1963, uh, right after they swept the Yankees, um, you know, my first World Series game ever was 1974. Uh, they lost that series to the A's. I suffered with them in 77 and 78. I freaked out with joy in 88 and have been there every year since uh, in various levels of heartbreak. Um, oh my God, what a team. Oh my God, what a year. Uh, I, 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 I'm so thrilled. And if it, there weren't an election hanging over our heads, um, I would be floating right now because uh, I've been waiting for this for a long time. I got to say, my friend, as a, as, a, as a transported, you know, I came from the East Coast. I've been here 12 years. I love Los Angeles. We miss you, Mr. Johnson, because, of course, Mr. Johnson is just outside D.C., but uh, felt pretty good. Two it's of them. We got the NBA. Well, we got the M M MLB. Well, here's my feeling about this, and I actually, I, 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 I sound so stupid to say this, but I tweeted it last night. My open plea to Florida is look, my Lakers beat your Heat, my Dodgers beat your Tampa Bay Rays, vote Biden, and your suffering will end. Oh. It's really <laughs> in that, your that, hands. That, see, that Gavin Newsom should have done one. You know those bets? That's exactly. Their governors do like, I'll oh, buy you God. beer. They should have been like, if I win, you vote with us. Yes. Look, uh, I, I, the reason I'm not in charge of the Federal Election Commission is because I believe voting should be like driving. If you do it badly, you, you, you lose the right to do it again. Whoa. And so for me, there are 62 million voters out there. 
I, I just think on this one, you say, no, no, sorry. You, you had your shot. You've proven yourself unworthy of, of voting rights. So you're going to sit this one out. Uh, but that's why I'm not in charge. That's why. <laughs> Billy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, that was great. And I really appreciate it. And I really do hope Billy Ray comes back to join us. Now, Ed, you're going to be doing our, our what we think is the second to last POTUS 2020 Battleground America podcast on And then we'll do our final one the day after the election. Unless, of course, this thing is hanging chads galore, in which case we might be going on all the way into the new year. We hope people who've joined us before join us. We have some special guests lined up already. But as we go into next week, let's get a sense. Ted, what should we be looking for, in your opinion, in terms of the way this is going to play out in the media? Because this is all media now. I mean, Trump's rallies are media with their backdrop. Biden and his TV events are clearly made for television events, even though they have small audiences in the actual room or parking lot with him. What is the thing that we should be looking for now? Or is this really just a race now to finish line? I, I think this is just a race to the finish line. Watch the numbers of people who have already voted and that tell you why, you know, this whole idea that we're racing to election day. Well, the, November 3rd is when the election ends. It's going on right now. So it's like every time, you know, maybe Democrats get all excited or Republicans get all excited over a revelation uh, I think you have to put it in that context that, you know, there's only so much impact that you're going to have on the end result right now. And that probably also reflects in polling. You know, we're getting awfully, awfully close to the point where you have to say, okay, off with the polling, let's just wait for the end result. So I think uh, what surprises could be happening Um uh, we could see some last minute endorsements for some of these candidates, people kind of saying, okay, I'm going to finally, you know, come off the sidelines and I'm going to come out for Joe Biden, or I'm going to come out. Are you talking about the likes of Gen yeah. Are you talking about the likes of General Mathis? Maybe I have no information on that, but I'll be curious to see, you know, is there someone who kind of says, okay, it's, it's time. It's awfully late in the process again. Um, and I think, you know, now it's so late that you probably, you, you risk having the kind of humiliation of, of, you know, why didn't you come out earlier? But I wouldn't be surprised if there are maybe one or two that people say, oh, oh, I'm kind of surprised at that. You know, I think we've seen, obviously, in the past few days, we've seen a new justice on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has a number of very high-profile cases, the least, not the least of which is looking at the Affordable Care Act um, right after the election. In fact, the Senate's in, the, the Congress is in recess. Everybody is out on the stump. I have to ask you, because I know how I feel, which isn't many sleepless nights. Are you anxious? Because so many people are. So many people are about where this one's going to go. Everyone I talk to is anxious about this. Um, I think part of it is it feels like this election has gone on for the past four years. Yeah. Um, Trump, Donald Trump, you know, formed that committee, the re-election committee on the day of his inauguration. But really, the way that this presidency has been carried out has has been all about, you know, what is he going to do to try to get reelected. And here we are six days out. And I think there's a lot of exhaustion, <laughs> a lot of exhaustion, a lot of anxiety. I think people are going, I would caution people not to, you know, take one poll result 
one anecdotal piece of information, the early vote. <laughs> I've been advised, don't get carried away with the early vote. Um, and, you know, and what that says about the chances on either side, uh, because it's not, it's just not a complete picture. So yeah, definitely a lot of anxiousness. Um, the, the, um, I, I think it's probably going to be a good weekend for a lot of people. If you're not working on the campaigns to take, take a little bit of a breather. Well, also though, I, too, I will say, I mean, as much as we say that, and we've been, we've had our, our, our eyes focused on the campaign right now, you've mentioned it. We've all talked about it. COVID-19 cases are surging across the country. Um, we're seeing hospitalizations rise again. Lockdowns are happening all over Europe that people fear might be happening here. In places like El Paso, the cases, I mean, it, we're talking triple digit rises. You know, that is a big consideration going into this final weekend and, and next week is the weather, especially in the Northeast, about how people are gonna be able to get out and vote. Clearly the, the thing is always is rain is bad for Republicans. Um, I just, one of my feelings is with all the rallies and all the fundraisers and all the Hollywood money and all the ads and debates and everything else, 74 million people have voted already and many, many more left to vote. And I think that this is one, not only the endless campaign, but it is a campaign that perhaps has a rejuvenation in, in voting that we haven't seen before. And that's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing about the pandemic, one thing about Donald Trump is that he has gotten people a lot more engaged in the political process. And we may see that play out with a, just an outstanding number of people who turn out and vote. Uh, and the reason I mentioned the pandemic, I should just add, is you know, people are home. Uh, they are focused, uniformly focused on this election. You look at the ratings, the cable ratings are way up for yeah. all of the cable news networks in October, which I thought was, you know, a pretty impressive figure. They're reporting record numbers of people, uh, record numbers of interest, and um, for obvious reasons. So I, I, I um, uh, but again, these next few days, I think there's, there's, there's enough anxiety to go around. Well, my friend, I will talk to you in the next, we'll talk to everyone in the next few days with our election special. Um, until then, have a great weekend. Stay safe, socially distant. We go outside, wear a mask. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Dominic Patton, Senior Editor for Deadline Hollywood. I'm Ted Johnson, Political Editor at Deadline Hollywood. See you soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.